call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 96 of Call It Friend of the Podcast, where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Danica Tiernan watched two films from acclaimed Italian director Federico Fellini, 1973's Amor Cord and 1960's La Dolce Vita. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. So, you strike me as a, the type of man who likes Federico Fellini. <laughs> yeah, this was my first uh, Fellini. This is the first time I've ever been Federico Fellated. Really? You've never yeah. seen... You, wow, okay. Is so, that weird? Um... I suppose it means you were never uh, pretentiously into cinema at a purpose. I think um, I was, but like when I was 16, this well, is that's the time when I would have watched stuff like that and it wouldn't have hurt at all. Huh, okay. And well, this, I'm, never I'm not going to knock. I'm, I'm not knocking these two films, but like... Not for you. Three hours of something without much of an overarching plot. When I was a lot younger, I could have handled that better. I'm not huh. saying that I'm not saying I dislike either of these films, but I'm just saying I it would have done more for me when I was younger. Well, it's that I mean Federico Fellini is uh, inexorably associated with the idea of pretentious European cinema. You'll get that in you straight away. But the, the traditionally, I think when people think of pretentious European cinema, they think of uh, the likes of Blow Up or the French New Wave. But the thing about those films is. They're all quite short, mm. and Fellini never felt such restrictions. All his films are long as fuck. All the ones I've seen, anyway. Which which films of of his have you seen now? I th- I've seen all the biggies. You talked about La Strada the other day. That's my favorite. Um, it's about like a strong man and a kid or something. I yeah, like the idea not, of that. But like all of these, it's not really. That's okay. the thing. But I mean, that one is. It's just deeply emotional and i, I just know. i just like I, the idea that there's like he's wearing like one of those old school like andre, does, does, uh, andre the giant singlets that is it. that's yeah, yeah. no we should have watched that and that was the other choice yeah i remember that's oh, what i'm saying i'm sorry that's twice i've done that you to you know if, if they're in future if a character is like a strong man and wears like an andre the giant mm. singlet i want okay that. i'll remember that's that the first choice Choose i've that. seen uh Ivitaloni, which is was his first really big splash which is basically it's also his most kind of mainstream movie like movies like american graffiti and diner and mean streets you know just okay. guys having fun just guys having fun they all sort of began with eva deloni at least that's the earliest one i remember it's just boys chasing ladies in a small town and then eventually they all have to grow up at that point he was a, a cartoonist and a comic book artist and you can see that in the structure of uh, that film and the way he shoots and everything. But then after that, it's very much, you get into his poetic realism stage, which is what he's most famous for. So then you've got, which I've seen all, like I've seen all the big ones. I've seen La Strada, Knights of Cabiria, uh, now La Dolce Vida. Although I realized when we were watching it that I saw it many oh, years ago. Oh, you'd already seen it. Yeah, yeah, but many years ago now. Like I didn't, I just didn't get it when I would have seen it before, let's say. Right. Oddly enough, it's probably my least favorite, even though I still like it. I th- I think I've seen Amarcord the most. And, That's mad. Well, th- like I had a strange introduction. We've talked about this before, but you know, tuning into late night European cinema to at the hope of seeing some boobage. I thought I expected from the way you described it. I thought it was going to be way more salacious. Well, 
here's what she will dive right into, into Amarcord. Well, the thing is about it. I assume it was just the big lady at the end. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, but right, hold on. I'll get to in the plot how that uh, hits the right sort of mark. But the thing is about the film. So at this point, it would have been TG Car, the Irish station in Ireland, the, the Irish language station. But late night on Fridays and Saturdays, they'd have like classics of arty cinema, but just with Irish language subtitles. But amongst me and my friends, they became popular because there was always breasts and vaginas <laughs> in them. And sometimes penises too. Anyway, so we would tune into those. But Amarcord sticks out in my mind particularly, not just because of the giant lady with the giant boobs, but at that and Belle de Jour, there were ones that kind of teased you, never gave you any nudity, but then... You can't put this in the same level as Belle de Jour <laughs> in terms of the titillation. Yeah, but, but hold on. But hold on. Okay, like, it, like there is stuff suggested in Amarcord the whole way through, and you think you might you might get to see something, and then uh, something different happens. But basically... It was kind, too late. I'd the, already seen everything. <laughs> the movie kind of teases you, but then I remember, the distinct memory that I'm talking about is I was watching it, not getting what I'd expected, but at the same time being very much drawn in by the films. You you accidentally got like a sort of... Yeah, got a love for like, cinema. Yeah, you while, got this like film boobage. education. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. That's how, that's how Fellini did you. He was like... And I was I was getting... In, like It nearly annoyed me how into the film I was getting um, and nothing was happening, but I was like, this is a good film. I, I remember as a kid, I was sure that someone would have it off with the creepy looking prostitute. Volpina. Volpina, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think some people did. I think we just didn't see it. Uh, she yeah, did. she dips a cock in her coffee in the morning, as one gentleman says. <laughs> she she seems, seems like a lovely young lady, and uh, well done to her. I've been trying to write uh, short stories recently around the, the theme of, I don't know, celebrating the insanity of teenage male horniness. And I think this is ultimately what this film is. It's all about just how mad horny you are as a teenager. You know the scene, the scene where all the ladies arrive on the bikes, and it's just massive, big, big asses. Yeah, big Italian big, asses, big arses. Look at their arse. Reading some of the criticism of the film, of just it seemed to be that Fellini was trying to comment on what Italy was like during the fascist regime, but like they were infantilized or something that they were, or they were stuck in this kind of immature mindset of looking at all big boobies and stuff. Well, that is a thing. What is it really? Is that somewhere? I read that somewhere. I don't know where it was. What I mean, he's depicting the children in this. I, d- I disagree with, this is one of the things I quite like about this film. And I'm sorry to say it to you, because I feel like you'd feel a, a bit more negatively, but I, I absolutely loved La Dolce Vita. I thought it was incredible. No, I, I, d- I did like it. I thought it was very beautiful, but we'll get to La Dolce Vita. Yeah, yeah. But it, anyway, no, with regards to um, fascism infantilizing people, I mean, that is, that's a phenomenon well known. Mm-hmm. Like the worst generations of like, let's say, German and Russian, Hungarian men, people like that would have been like after regimes, just useless fuckers, all alcoholics, very high suicide rates. And I suppose, you know, Italian men made into infants by fascism would have sort of worked the same way. Fascism is approached nearly like a carry-on movie in this. The whole thing is almost a carry-on movie, actually. Now that I say that out loud. Should you remember the whole lie story that the the vendor tells about climbing up and all the shikes women? <laughs> that guy's quality. What's yeah, he called? Yeah, I like, like that fella. Sheen or something. Sheen. He's, he's, he's the fellow who sells melon seeds, which I'd never heard of as a snack, to also, be honest. Also, where, uh, where did Fellini find, like, 
some of the ugliest Italians I've ever seen. That's impressive. Well, I, I mean, he w- this would have been you around the same time. From. Sergio Leone was big into this as well, just grabbing Italians who had a, a an unusual look. Yeah, he got some weird faces. Like, that's not my experience of Italy. Well, you think they're lookers? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I'd say the same of Spain as well. I mean, just compared to what? Compared to us. Yeah, exactly. Compared to us from the fucking chicken section of the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, I suppose they are good looking. You know who's who's a a curiously uh, bad looking uh, nation? uh, There's plenty of hotties out there, but more often than not, Argentinians I meet are ugly. Well, I'm not. I know a few Argentinians, so I'm not. You're not going to chime in on that? Any art. That's half Spanish, half Italian. Pretty much. And then with a bit of. That's why I'm saying it's curious. And also some Welsh. They got. Uh, yeah. There was a Welsh colony in Patagonia. That's right. Did, do I, did you know about that? Yeah, I did know about that. There's yeah, some interesting story. footballers who speak Welsh. Anyway, yeah. He, they did find, but I mean, also, this was the 70s. Everyone was kind of ugly in the 70s, I'm sure. Everyone was smoking all the time. She looked at the hottest lady you, in the world in the movie. You're right. Like, the 70s was bad. 1960, everyone looked amazing. That's true. 1973. Black and white really does something for shit. those people in yeah. La Dolce Vita, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. They look great. They look so much better than they would in color, yeah. Yeah. Also, in, in uh, Amarcord, you could really see, uh, like, extreme makeup. Go on. Some of the characters, I don't know if it was like you were supposed to see that makeup or not. It could be that nowadays to see like a 1080p copy of a film like this, you see makeup the way, not the same way that you were supposed to see it or that you would have seen it back at this, you know, back when it was being shown in cinemas. I mean, this has, this feels very much like, it has a Technicolor feel about it. It's very loud visually as a film and not as a banana Exactly, as a film, it's very loud visually. But, uh, yeah, I suppose you might be right. It's, like... I don't know, I mean, those could just be the characters that were supposed to be a bit more promiscuous, let's say. Who are you referring to? Uh, Magali Noel's character, Gradiska, that lady, definitely. Oh, who everyone fancies and shakes her ass. Yeah, and the prostitute lady. Uh, Between those two, who'd get it? Well, Magali Noel looks great in La Dolce Vita, but... Who's she in La Dolce Vita? She was Fanny. Which one is Fanny? The one that Marcello's dad goes on. Oh, with. right. Yeah, 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 she does look great in that. She's She looks great. And she was like 28, 29, and then she was 42 by the time Amarcord came around. I'm just like these are just facts. I'm just saying. These are just facts. It's not yeah, even opinions. That lady, Gradiska, Gradinska? Gradiska, yeah. Yeah, Gradiska. She reminded me of, I read that um, Julia Watzerchops, the famous Hollywood agents book, uh, You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again. And um, she uh, like got annoyed that Martin Scorsese, because Faye Dunaway gave out to her about it, Martin Scorsese left this shot in Taxi Driver with Faye Dunaway sort of turning to the camera in such a way that her- Faye Dunaway's in Taxi Driver. Not Faye Dunaway, sorry. Um, Sybil Shepherd. Okay. Uh, turning to the camera in such a way that her ass appeared gigantic. And uh, he was like, oh, it's a typical Italian boy thing. And that reminded me of this because, yeah, like, yeah, they love big they're asses. all about the big asses in this, they aren't certainly they? certainly are. It's a celebration of big asses, this movie. And big ladies at one point. There's a lot of big ladies throughout. I just think, uh, you know, a different time, 1930s Italy. The that's tobacconist lady is the celebrated one, though. Sure. And that's quite famous, right? Maria Belluzzi. That scene? Yeah. 
Is that I'm, a famous scene? Because it it's famous it's, for me. It blew my mind when I saw it as a young fella. I just, I, 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 I read so to, sexy. <laughs> I was, I was but reading in that about that. Way. I was reading about that 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 scene is referenced in uh, John Irving's 2005 book "Until I Find You." Oh, I've not read that. No, neither have I. But I just think it's quite funny. I think he's just talking uh, similar to what you might have said of like it was uh, a kind of eye-opening scene for a lot of people. Yeah, it's they were like, ooh. It's kind of like everybody open your ears and alert yourselves for absolute fucking pretentiousness. But here we go. I mean, it's kind of he's a poetic realist for a lot of his films. And this is definitely one of them. And that's one of the most potent scenes, which is that like it's just reality arranged in such a way that it's infinitely interpretable. Is that that that's a word? Yeah, Yeah, interpretable. But like, much like life, basically, you're kind of working on on a level where you're just seeing symbols where you'd like to. And I felt like that's like that scene with compared to the other with uh, uh, Gradinska, 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 who he fancies the fuck out of, is, (laughs) you know, you've got your idol here, and then you've got the, you know, the first time you step off the train is actually here with the big nasty tobacco lady, Um, which because the thing is about that as well is is like. You know, he kind of idolizes her, but in a filthy way. She's almost like his porno. And like, do you know what I mean? Well, uh, I, d- <laughs> I mean, this, this that's quite a small scene towards the end of the film. Like, how important do you think it is, this, that scene? I mean, I understand what you're saying. Mm. I, I th- it's quite funny in the scene where he's like, you would think like sucking on a breast is quite a natural impulse. Yeah. And still, he's, <laughs> she's like, he suck on up, my yeah. tit. And he's like, what she's like he's like she's like don't blow but again i mean is is it an important i i think in this film like the synopsis and everything all around it is like he's the main character that kid tita, tita. and i'm watching the film i'm like is he the main it's, it's not really he's no. not the main character it's just it's, he's it's kind of like in most of the scenes but like it's about everyone and you do get a sense that it's there's this have you ever Unified seen or community. read um, or even heard of Under Milkwood, the Dylan Thomas poem? No. This is very Under Milkwood. It's just drifting around the town telling stories. That's why actually, my favorite well, character... Well, it's actually referenced and uh, it's referenced in the Wikipedia. Oh, right. Fair enough. It's Well, like, you know that guy who addresses camera uh, every so often, who I quite yeah, like, yeah, actually, yeah, as yeah, a character. Yeah, he's funny. Like, and somebody, you know, throws something at him and he's like, you coward, <laughs> come out here. He's funny. He's as close as it comes to an actual main character. It's basically just about the time and the place, I feel. Mm. Because this is where Fellini came from. Yeah, and it's based on like a friend of his who's also called Tita. Tita, yeah. And like he's got a, a like I mean all of his all of his films are very much all the ones I've seen anyway are very much about him. I forgot to mention the other one I've seen, which is just famously barely not him, eight and a half. Oh yeah. Um I saw seven. <laughs> Did you see nine? <laughs> no, and that's like a musical yeah, version yeah. of eight and a half. It's the it's the it's the part With where Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, exactly. It's the stumbling block on Daniel Day Lewis's career. I'd Oops. say people just run. I've never seen it. No. Now, to be fair, but it just seems like a terrible idea. Anyway, yeah, uh, all like all of his films gearing up towards eight and a half are about him in like abstract ways. La Dolce Vita gets very close to just being directly about him, and then. In a half, just burst into surreal territory, and it's all about him. But um, Amarcord is, uh, it literally means I remember, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a play on that. Macard, Macard, and then they, which is from like the local dialect, and then they changed it to Amarcord. Yeah. 
I don't know, man. I've seen this. Uh, so this has got to be... Wait, look, let's see. Because going through the plot of either of these two films is hard. I reckon I could do Amarcord easy enough. Well, just go, let's, g- give me some fucking... Give me the big beats. Okay. So we open up. It's kind of a bonfire night. We're introduced to the various characters around the place. Uh, one of whom is Tida and his family. And we meet his friends as well who are ne'er-do-wells. And we see Tida's home life, which is his father's just a bit of a maniac. He's living with his odd uncle, who is maybe a big fat man about town. Is the be- is the best way to put it. He's him. also like a fascist, the uncle, right? Uh, I don't know. What doesn't I? Because well, he it, rats out the father. Yeah, that's why I assumed that he was like in with the fascist. Because the dad reminds me of like Homer Simpson. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, really much. is very funny. Yeah. I like the dad a lot. Did you think it was a funny movie in general? Yeah, I thought it was quite fun. Like I was surprised how funny I thought it was. Especially of him, yeah, the, this sort of like Homer Simpson elements where he would be saying something like, ah, okay, and then like try and kill his son. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, fucking, yeah. you little prick, come here. Because his son peed on a guy's yeah. hat. And then there's Gr- Gradiska, who yeah. all the boys fancy, especially Tita, the main character. And um, things proceed, they go to school, everybody's waiting for the year to pass. The school, I remember the pissing through the... Yeah, which is quite quite funny. That's quite impressive. That's quite good. They get like a a little paper tube. The kid who does the pissing looks about fucking 40 years Uh, old. What's the deal with it? Is that just the thing that they're in a small... Because I know there is like a small like neighborhood. It's like a small town type thing. But is it just one of those things where at that time you just put everyone into the same class because they they couldn't separate them? But there's guys in there who are like 12 and there's guys who are like, yeah, like 35. They're probably a little too old for school. A big fat guy fancies this uh, this uh, lady who does yes, not do. fancy him. Classic. There's a guy who drives around on a motorbike. There's a prostitute. Um, Everything you need for like a well-rounded village. Pretty much. Uh, the fascists come to town. Uh, Gradiska fancies them. They heavily interrogate Tita's father. Tita suspects his uncle. Uh, Tita's father suspects the uncle, ratted him out. They go to visit... Tita's uncle in a mental institution uh, who climbs up a tree and declares he wants a woman, he wants a woman. He can only be talked down by a dwarf nun, I believe is what happens. Uh, Tita goes to the tobacco shop late at night and gets near smothered by the lady's breasts. Oh, wait, the narrator fella shows us around the hotel and tells us two very particular stories. One where Gradiska vows to uh, have sex with this prince fella, so she'll... So they'll build a road or a bridge or some infrastructure. And then the other one where the guy who sells snacks tells a story about when a shite yeah. came to town and he went up and had sex with all the shite ladies. something ladies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 28 in a night or something like that. There's a thing where they go out to see to see the SS Rex. Yes, that's right. The, the passing boat, uh, they, they sit out there all night. Some, some of these things, I imagine, just really happened because they're so specific and meandery, you know? Yeah, I mean... I don't know about anything related to the fascists or like the dad being forced to to drink castor oil, but a lot of it feels like I remember thinking, I remember hearing about like Irvin Welsh novels like Train Spying. I remember hearing a lot of people say like that's just all stuff that happened. Like the fact, like a lot of things from that are just like this, like someone Mm. he heard that a friend of a friend did something that happened. Like, I mean, it's just like typing up a series of things that actually happened. Every single short story I've ever written is a version of something that's happened to me. Mm. I've never... Oh, I know it. I made up one recently. But, yeah. So, 
I, don't I mean, know. yeah. I mean, how many people like actually, if it's if it's something realistic and related to life, or, or you know, like the way that most people live, how many people are like genuinely making things up from nothing? I think there's a trajectory that actually a lot of authors, particularly, go through. One of them that because I I read a lot of John Irving's books, and John Irving's career has a funny trajectory, which is that all his all his novels are thinly veiled, thinner as you go autobiographical novels until you get to GARP, which is just straight up mm. self-examination. And then GARP in the novel figures that if he keeps just just writing novels about himself and just examining his life in neurotic detail, he'll end up killing himself or something. So he starts to write different sorts of novels. Have you read The World According to GARP? No, I, I haven't. I don't think I read any John Irving, but I, I read a lot of books by David Irving. And they started out <laughs> quite like fantasy, and then they just became more and more realistic yeah. as time went on. <laughs> I found, yeah, yeah. I mean, I found them in uh, alternative history one time, yeah, but I, I, every time I see them there in a bookshop, I put them straight into the self help section. <laughs> exactly. But no, then after- no, I haven't read World According to Garp. Is that the one that there's like a. Robin Williams is in a movie about. And it. Garp is like a little. Like a midget you did or something. No, so that's that a one. prayer for that's a prayer for Armini, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, so after Garp, in my head, they're all little midget guys who like have to throw hand grenades or something. <laughs> so you know a lot about that. Yeah, I've read through the plot synopses. Yeah, it's weird. I was thinking about that book just today. Actually, I can't remember why. I said I'm not a big fan of that one. What happens in the world according to Garp? What does Robin Williams Well, basically, here's the thing: world according to Garp. Garp is Garp. Hello, it's gonna write books. Scared my children will die. John Irving, David Irving, Holocaust denial. Yeah. So then his books after that follow like the same line as Garp's actual life, and he just starts writing stories about stuff that does not feature in his life. So he gets over the hump, and that's happened to a fair few writers in the past. Just that kind of autobiographical auto it kind of happens to Fellini in a weird way mm. except Amarcord would be a bit of a backtrack on that which is why it's one of his more famous movies again just to finish off the plot I think Tita gets awful sick his mother dies Gradinska gets married and he disappears from the village his, I did find his uh, mother dying I find that to be very sad it was sad yeah it was, it was very sad Italian men and their mothers all of that stuff yeah uh, this won an Academy Award didn't it it won Best Foreign Film, and then it came back the next year. That's how they used to do it. It won Best Foreign Film in 1974, and then it got nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay the next year. What? I don't know how that used to work. I assume it was something to do with release dates. Yeah, maybe. Or they were like, one year later, they're like, all right, this film has stopped being foreign. It's a mad old anyway, but... I, I do think it's a worthwhile film, worth seeking out. Relatively plotless, but pretty fun. And uh, I do think it does a good job of capturing that insane male horniness that captures men at around the age of 15. I found it not too difficult to watch, but again, it's just it's like a series of scenes that have been stuck together. I could see that that's the style of what he was aiming for with it's it. It's certainly but, less structured than La Dolce Vita. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just feels like a, a, a series of memories and vignettes again that I, I'm not a big fan of that kind of vignette storytelling often. I mean, it reminded me of that, the last Wes Anderson f- film that I really, really didn't like. Yeah. It was very much that. A lot of people do like that. 
What's that called again? The French the, Dispatch. The French Dispatch. I really, rem- I remember. I really didn't care for. Yeah, that I remember at you all. said that. Yeah, yeah. Cora and too, that, right? Yeah, and that was again. I think it was like that sort of just vignette after vignette. But this one actually, I don't know. There was this. This one felt more tied together. To be fair, even though there is no overarching plot, particularly. At least you are following that main Tita character's family. And I cared for the mom and dad. I didn't really care for that Tita kid. He can go fuck himself. but Or he can go and get smothered to death by some tiggle bitties. Giant Germanic ladies' tits. Yeah. Nobody famous in this, really. Yeah. Nobody with a story. You're normally better at this sort of stuff, but I couldn't find anything interesting about anybody. Nah, because they were all like, so that kid, uh, the kid, who, the guy who played Tita, Bruno Zanin, he had been in jail. Before the movie, yeah, he'd he'd had like a. How old was he when they made the movie? He was twenty-two. He'd had a pretty tough upbringing, huh? And Fellini plucked him out of obscurity. Did he continue to be an after uh, an actor after that? Uh, Yeah, he did some stuff. Uh, Not a huge amount of stuff. He's still alive. He was in a film in twenty seventeen called In Search of Fellini. Let it go, Bruno. Jesus. Still searching for this guy. Oh, wait. In Search of Fellini. This was the thing that it was written by Nancy Cartwright, a.k.a. Bart Simpson, voice of Bart Simpson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1985, she went to Italy to try and meet uh, Federico Fellini. Fellini. But... She like she went. She was it was 1985. She was must have been pretty young. Mm. She went to Italy and just had a big old a big old fun time. And then she made this film in 2017 about that experience about being like a young person going to Italy. But it's all tied into the films of Fellini. Huh. And so he's in that. Bruno Zanin is in that. Is it meant to be any good? Uh, it's supposed to be okay. I watched the trailer. It looks. I th- I think they've kind of described it as like low level Amelie fair. Okay. But yeah, so that's what happened to Bruno Zanin. Yeah, the rest of the people, I mean, Magali Noel, we've talked about before. For what? She was in Rafifi. She's the lady from Rafifi. Vivian. Oh, okay. She was born in Turkey to French parents. And uh, yeah, and she who is she in this? In, in uh, Amarcord. Oh, she's gr- uh, yeah. Gradiska. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, she died. Most of these people are dead. Big yeah, I'd be surprised if any yeah, of them no. are. Well, you be you might be surprised how many people are still alive, actually, especially when we get to the Dolce Vita. Really? Yeah, there's so quite a few people alive. One thing I was very um, surprised about uh, La Dolce Vita. Are we moving on to La Dolce Vita? Yeah, why not? One thing I was very surprised about with La Dolce Vita is the number of people playing themselves, including Nico. Yeah. Nico's. Uh, I recognize her voice the second she spoke. I was like, "That's fucking speaking Nico. Italian, but with a like." With a I'll be your mirror. About I don't know if I mentioned this before. I don't think I did. About sixteen years ago, I worked in a call center with a guy who used to date Nico. Jesus, it's pretty mental. He yeah, dated I would have thought he that dated it, her for about a year and a half. I would have thought if you date Nico for a year and a half, you're that set was for it. life. Set. He should have been. He probably should have been. His name's Robert King. He was the lead singer of a band called The Scars, who were like an Edinburgh post-punk band in like 1981, 1979 to 81. So he dated when he was 20 back then, and he dated Nico, and she was like a. An old bag. Heroin addict. She was about 40 and he was 20. And he, I remember him, he talked about it. She was like, she was doing drugs the entire time, but like she didn't have any money or anything. So people would come and see her and visit and they would they'd be like, hey, here's some heroin. So they, I, I assume he was doing heroin as well. I don't know. I don't want to 
I, I mean, this is way on his name. better than talking about Fellini movies. Have you got any other <laughs> juicy celebrity gossip like this? No, but he, I mean, he, well, so he dated Nico for about a year and a half, but like, so we worked together at Standard Life. So we were, we were working in like a call center because Standard Life was like floating on the stock market. So like, we had to like call up customers and be like, hey, we're going to give you shares and they were going to like, convert your shares into public sale or whatever but he would he'd tell us stories we'd be talking about stuff and he'd be like see the first time uh snoop dog came to scotland he like slept on my floor stuff like that that was fun times sounds like talking to dan gutierrez quite frankly it is yeah it's very similar <laughs> but it's actual it's actually real as well <laughs> it's actually real you hear nah, that dan no no I'm sure, hey, thinks listen, Dan's is, no no dan was telling the truth too man i remember um, i met some of his friends i remember I remember I went to see Devander Bar- Banhart because uh, Devander Dan used Banhart, to play with yeah. him. Yeah, he used to that guy with fucking him. sucks. Yeah, it's not it's not for me either. Well, so apart from uh, but, but one Nico's one thing I want to ask you is though <laughs> about your call life, center. How long did you work in a call center for? That was about two um, two months. It was during the World Cup in two thousand and six, or it was just before the World Cup in two thousand and six. Because I have found that there's two or three months. There's like two types of people that you can find with who do all right in call centers well no i'll say this this one wasn't like a full-on call center call center because i've done other call center jobs that were awful yeah this one was more sometimes you had to get on the phone to like contact a customer or things like that it wasn't so much like constant call center type because i've talked to people across cultures who've had a similar type of breakdown in call centers and just walked out. <laughs> different people, different groups, different towns, different countries, all different walks of life who just one day said, I, I can't do this anymore, and just walked out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can understand that feeling. <laughs> you ever walked out of a job? Yeah, I walked out of a job. Uh, I did, this is a, a million years ago again, but like I did half a shift working for the Royal Mail. <laughs> I did about, it was like an eight Delivering. hour shift. Yeah, I did four hours and I quit. Because I had to go around to like these big sort of... Poor people. Was it poor people? <laughs> it was poor people. No, it was in the center of Edinburgh. I was in... It, it, well, it, ah, well, at least there's police around. Yeah. No, th- this was in Leith in uh, Edinburgh. and Back in the pre-gentrification days. Yeah. Um, but that well, that wasn't the problem. The problem was like there was all these old tenement buildings like near the sorting center. Slums. No one, Full of slum dogs. No one had, <laughs> No one was taking like parcels to any of them. So like there was people living there who hadn't had parcels for like I don't know. Not like even a on month, their not even months. on their birthday. Yeah. Well, they were just all piling up because the the Royal Mail was fucked because they were just getting like temp staff like me in for four hours. And uh, w- so I so I went. I took all these parcels around. I'd be like knocking on a guy's door on like the fourth floor, like like humping these things up steps. And then the guy, I'd hand over like 10 parcels to one person. And then I was just like, fuck this. It was hard work. So I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Did I ever tell you about my manner of exit from Tesco? No. It was a job that my father hooked me up with. I was 15. Did not know the value of work just yet. Enjoyed having money, but I was like, fuck this. Just just people, like one lady in particular there, shout out Maureen Clancy if you're listening to, she, fuck she you, you she bitch. To this. She would just, just torture me. And when I look back at it now, I just think, what was wrong with you? You were there in your 40s, just beating up, mentally beating up on a 15-year-old boy. She would like put me in the minerals aisle to stock shelves. And then she would come down and 
pretty much helped me stock, but the whole time she was doing it, it was doing. It was her doing it as a way to demonstrate how bad I was at stocking shelves. She'd be like, "Look, you do it like this, you fucking idiot." Anyway, so what I said was like, "All right." My logic was silly to say the least. I was like, "All right, my dad got me this job, so I can't quit it, but I can get fired. That way, it won't be my fault." <laughs> so what I started doing was just walking out of shifts early. Like I would be on a five to ten, and just walk out at eight and say nothing. And uh, when people would question me about it, which didn't always happen, a lot of the time people didn't even notice. Yeah. When people would question me about it, I would just say, oh, I thought, I thought I was, uh, sorry, I thought I was off at eight or whatever, some <laughs> more shit like that. Uh, and then eventually I got called up to the office and this lady says to me, Donica, you walked out three hours before the end of your shift last night. And I said, yeah, sorry, it's a mistake, whatever. And she says, and this isn't the first time it's happened. If this, if this keeps on happening... We're going to have to give you a verbal warning. And I did the maths in my head. I was like, three verbal warnings, three written warnings. And right on that second, I said, actually, I'm going to hand in my notice. And I handed it in. I didn't I didn't work the notice out. I was just, I'm off in a week. And I still managed to get paid. I don't know how, oh, what a monkeys of an operation. Anyway. <laughs> this is lovely. Which is what Tesco. a deviation. Yeah, yeah. Tesco's a solid. Uh, wait, so you have, you've got Tesco, like that's in... But a year. Ireland as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tesco Ireland. What, what they call else it. do you have? Do you have like do you have Sainsbury's? We don't have Sainsbury's. Oh well, okay. We don't have Greg's. Yeah. Well, we might have Greg's. I haven't lived in Ireland in a long time. You need to take that stuff. Yeah, that's why you need to band together. We have Wimpy Burger. Are you interested in Wimpy Burger? I, I remember Wimpy used to do that. I don't mind Wimpy. They have one in Loch Ray. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed La Dolce Vita. Yes, it's uh, it's. Reminds me of a a nice, a tasty hamburger. It is very much the wimpy of films. Poetic, realist retelling of Sick Boy's all unifying theory of life. More mournful than snarky, but that's what it is. Really? That's what you took from it? I just one of the main things, yeah. So just that he's he's getting older and he's starting to get shite, or life is getting shite. Like for example, he's definitely not able to have the same fun that he used to. There's still commentaries on like regular Italian society. Like there's big religious stuff. Basically, the post-war era of a you know post-religion sort of a commentary, and the the film manages to make it look both fun and kind of also ask the question: Well, what's after that then? If we don't have that. Like, in particular, you see that with the opening, with Jesus being Jesus helicoptered and around, and then later... Oh, a lovely with, sequence. Oh, it's amazing, Very yeah. Beautiful. And then um, with the the crowd chasing the children around that say they've seen the Madonna and trampling on the sick kid. That's like the most Italian thing I can think of, trampling a, a child to death. In <laughs> search of... trying to... Yeah, trying to see the like, Madonna. It's the Madonna. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. But then the Marcello sequence is like... So in the, the very first one... He he meets up with... He meets this lady, Madeleine. Who he, like, is his real love in the film, you could say. Yeah. But they, And then they go and have sex in a prostitute's bed. Yeah, that's Which, a bit weird. A very arty thing to do, but, it, like, I would sort of interpret... Her, bed, her her house is all flooded. Yeah, yeah. But that's both of them thinking it's kind of one thing, but it's actually another. You know, they're pro- they're they're in love, I would say. Why do they go and shag it that... that, that? prostitute's house is that because she doesn't want she can't go they can't they've got nowhere else to go they can't go something like that yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then is she is she's cheating well he's cheating because yeah he's he's got his uh, mental fiance emma, emma yeah. who basically to kill herself yeah yeah 
And she's just like, I don't know, it's just too much <laughs> for poor Adam Mar- Marcello, but he st- stays with her. But then in the next scene with um, Jugs McSweden. Um, <laughs> Sylvia. Yeah. Sylvia, yeah, the movie star. Um, I didn't know they had Jugs like that back in 1960, to be honest. Oh, oh this so much of the content of this film, I was just saying, going like, this was 1960. It's That's such a horny movie, mad. isn't it? It is. There's so many things here, apart from anything like... They invented fucking paparazzi. I mean, yeah. this film invented paparazzi. It like popularized. It's, it's coined from this film. That's right. Yeah, this is mad. This is like the Nightcrawler prequel, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so he meets this Sylvia lady. He they, meets his uh, yeah, yeah. Who he just like basically like lusts over, just in, which is yeah, yeah. Hard not to, and then it all just kind of falls apart when she gets a smack in the face from her drunk American husband and he beats Marcelo up. Yeah. After they've, there's a, that sequence where they're at the Trevi Fountain. And the Trevi Fountain, very iconic, yeah. Swim. Um, and prior to that, they're doing a big dance sequence and there's like a friend of hers that comes along and it looks like Will Ferrell doing like yeah. some kind of, like doing the like monkey a character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Mugatu or something. Yeah, I didn't know they had people like that back then. <laughs> yes. What up? What's after that then? That next after that the next a- is the first sequence where Marcelo meets Steiner. Oh yeah, and he plays Steiner. back in the church after the and yeah. and they, there you that's a, again you've got a, a a commentary of something that was very big in Italy at the time. There, Italy was going through a big wave of Marxist intellectualism and stuff like that. And Steiner's whole story is just that's brutal. E- examining the vacuousness of of that, and you know, I mean the potential of descent into nihilism and so mm. forth. I mean, he does a Chris Benoit by the end of the movie. It's, he does. It's f- and his children are so adorable when you meet them as well. It's fucking heartbreaking. I'm into uh, nihilism. What's that? It's like, it's ba- I watch Frasier a lot. Ah, right, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I would sign up for that. Yeah, big fan of old uh, David Hyde Pierce. Then comes the Madonna bit, right? The Madonna. Yeah, that's right. And they go, because apparently the Madonna has been spotted by these two children, and then they're all out. That, they're that liars. also looks great. They're like out in the middle of nowhere, and it looks like it's in a desert somewhere. Also, when the, the apartment, uh, the, the prostitute's apartment where they go to is just like a housing complex. It's like yeah. a real 1960s housing complex. It's pretty cool. Because a lot of this stuff, I'd imagine, like I'd say all the nightclub stuff is sound stages. Yeah, the vast majority of the film was shot in a studio. Then after we after the Madonna sequence, there is that's when he goes to Steiner's Steiner apartment again, yeah. with Emma, which is a, a wonderful scene in the film. And Emma's all fawning over Steiner's children, and there's a poet, a, a German or English poet, playing herself, I believe, yeah. so Iris something, Iris, uh, Irish tree, nice. Irish Tree, there's a nice video that is a nice video. There's a nice painting of Irish Tree here. Oh, right. If you look at Irish Tree's Wikipedia, you can see a painting of her from when she was 19, painted by Modigliani. Boobs and vag. You can see her Modigliani. There we go. In a sense, you can feel Fellini being nearly overindulgent with all the people he gets to play themselves because it's 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 three or four people I think who play that f- themselves. That in the feels film. like the nineteen sixties version of like Steven Soderbergh or something of just like yeah. someone like that or, or who would go. That must have been a lot of like winking at the camera of going like next you know like later on going like hey it's Nico mm. hey folks <laughs> or, like you've got these all these arty types playing themselves. And you're like, oh yeah, hey. so. They- the, the the real sick boy theory comes with when Marcelo's father visits. Oh, just before that. Oh, you've got the intermezzo. 
Oh, yeah, and that's when, a big one as well. Where he's basically chatting up like a 14-year-old. See, he's not chatting her up. I think that's... Im- no, no, I think that's important not? to note in, in the film. He is recognizing that she's beautiful, but not in a lusty, nasty sort of a way. Well, let's hope so. Um, no, because I think that that's really key to that scene, actually. And he's trying to be literary, and in his mind, being like Steiner is being literary. But Fellini, I think, is making the point that it's just kind of, I don't know, being able to glance at life the right way. And when he spots that girl, he's doing that. Because she, also, I think Fellini has her very well cast, because I think she's very beautiful in a completely non-sexual way. When so many of the women in the film are whores, like, being, being honest, do you know what I mean? I did remember hearing the word putana frequently, and various other versions of whore, yeah. Uh, and that was mostly them calling themselves that, actually. Yeah, they do that. They do that quite a bit. Next up is Marcello's daddy. Yeah, and that's Cha-Cha that's Club. the big sick boy theory bit because basically he sees you know himself and his dad. That's a big. I, I believe that you you can correct me uh, when you get your de- your new degree. But I th- like a lot of people who study death is con- like realizing the mortality of a parent is you know significant in one's mind because you realize oh right you're the only barrier between me and death and well, once you once you go i'm just staring at death there's the there's also there's like the freudian there's like a life drive and there's a death drive you've yes. also you got that kind of self-destructive force yeah but I, I don't know i mean you, you could see it like Marcelo recognizes himself and his dad, but Marcelo's dad recognizes himself and his son. And it's like, all right, my son's yeah, getting, but he's clearly to get wired so, into old Fanny. He's clearly so, and it's important for the to recognize it in Marcelo in the last scene of the movie. He, he, the dad is compared to everyone there, so he's he's an anachronism. Like he's just, like even even for the day, I'm able to judge by how cool everybody else is in the film that Marcelo's dad is an old fogey. You're kind talking of. about like a country that had Silvio Berlusconi slash has Silvio Berlusconi, like uh, who's probably like 86 now and is might still be doing his old bunga bunga parties like this guy's in the prime of his life marcello's dad's just getting warmed up he's only like 65 yeah he's just getting started okay he had a slight heart attack god damn they pound booze in that sequence was one everyone is getting i mean when you get to the the orgy scene towards the end i mean that's how it's called here but Hmm. like you can see, like, how wrecked. I don't even remember seeing people that, like, showing that they're drunk on film. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, uh, they're smashed it's, up. It's like. not, it's not, you don't see that frequently. I, mean, I wouldn't imagine seeing that from a film from 1960 of just seeing people, like, getting wasted. And Marcelo's father, anyway, he nearly needs to be hospitalized, and he's clearly bummed out at his own mortality as well in that, in that sequence. Um, Marcelo sends him off to the doctors and then... Well, he leaves. Like, his yeah. dad just goes yeah, home. Yeah, he's he, like, he goes and he jumps in a taxi and goes back I'll get to the next train. What's the next scene after that? The next, next episode, scene after rather. that is with Nico and the others. Marcello meets Nico, played yeah. by Nico, and they go to a castle on the outskirts of Rome. Yes, and he and encounters he Madalena again. To Madalena. He's in the little room. Through a wall, but they're yeah. both kind of... You can, like... They, and they declare their love for one another, but they're like, they're, here's 
very obvious poetic realism here, which is that they're just separated by this echo chamber and like too caught up in their own. That's what an echo chamber literally is, right? Okay, that makes sense. They're too caught up in their own bullshit to to engage properly in their feelings, and they just get lost in the void. It's quite nice. And then he ends up with that stroppy English twat, Jane. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly who somebody. And then, and then the next morning, she's like, "Have you met my son?" And her yeah. son's like, "Fucking forty. But that's exactly where somebody who lets love pass them by ends up. You know what I mean? With a stroppy with English, English slag. Yeah, he was hanging about with Nico. Then he's with he's going after this Italian lady. Nico ends up with Jane. Hi, I'm Nico. That's my Nico impression. That's very good. I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> That's less good. <laughs> but you bear in mind this whole time, uh, Martello's dating this Emma lady. He was engaged to her. I yeah, believe, he's yeah. engaged to her. That's the next oh, sequence. That's isn't the next it? sequence. It's them arguing the on a road in the in the middle of the night. He abandons her. He he gets back the next day. She's still there, which in a strange way illustrated to me what a pathetic person she was. And like Marcelo's clearly being a dick there, but it's like, come on, lady. No, have but some I just think she's like. Italian in the sense of like she deeply cares for her partner. Hmm. She's like heavily invested in in him. She loves him. I think is that not what Steiner says? Like you love Mar- you love Marcello more than he loves himself, or yeah. more than you? Yeah, love yeah, yeah, no, more than he loves himself. Yeah, like I think that's the key point. Next is, and then they go home to bed, and then he gets the phone call about this Steiner. Is a fucking, this is a, this was a kill. I, I also was shocked by this part. I was like, I can't believe this is in the film. Yeah, it's you see, I remember so hard. Core. I remember this before it started because, like I said, I, I saw this years ago, but all I seem to remember was the um, opening sequence with the Jesus on helicopters, and then the second they get that phone call, I was like, I knew what I was like, it just came screaming back to me. Uh, yeah, it's very potent. And then... With so this, yeah, so Steiner has yeah, murdered... Yeah. yeah, as you said, he went... Killed himself and killed Chris his kids. Benoit is, he, and then it. they're waiting for his wife to come back and she gets swarmed by paparazzis. And it's... Although they weren't called that then. They're no, just called, they were just they're called just photographers. photographers. Guys. Only one of them was called paparazzi. Yeah. And then that seems to be the nail in the coffin for Marcelo. Or so, I mean, it's implied because... Because after that, so like he's a journalist and he's hanging around with all these photographer guys Mm -hmm. and then, but he's also has some sort of claim to like writing something more serious potentially or being like more of a writer, writer. By this point in the film, which is like the last of seven days, it's like the seventh episode, seventh scene. He's now decided he's going to do like PR or something. He's completely given up, it seems. Well, that's what he does. He does PR. If He's basically um, Burt Lancaster's character from Sweet Smell of Success, mm. I, I, which I think was made a couple of years before this. So, yeah, yeah, this so, is the big orgy-ish sequence where things start getting mental and Marcello's acting, acting the dickhead. Well, yeah, and it's like... Oh, that scene, he reminds me so much of myself on so many occasions. I could barely <laughs> stand to look at him. I remember that time where you took a pillow and started taking all the feathers out of it. And rode and a lady yeah. around like a horse. Yeah, I remember that. You were spanking that lady's <laughs> Surrounded by more gays than I knew existed at this point in history. There's loads of gays at that party. But that's how you know it's a good party. Hell yeah. yeah many Mar- of the men are homosexual, it says in the Wikipedia entry. Not that it, you know. And then there's like a blue link so you can click on homosexual and it says homosexuality is romantic attraction, sexual attraction or sexual behavior between members of the same sex or gender. And then there's three citations to back that up. 
<laughs> Dude, I'm not going to click on those now, but it's good to know they're there. You send me a link to them to, so I can put them in my Amazon wish list, mm-hmm. please. Yeah, so then everything descends. Marcelo is no longer a figure of any warranted reverence, you could There's say. There's a lady who does a strip tease, Nadia. Yes, you see boobs. Sort of. But then her husband comes back. Marcelo throws a Ex-husband. glass through the fucking window like a, you know, a classless fool. And you're kind of, you know, at this point, you're sort of disappointed in him. It's, do you know what it is? It's the most kind of glamorous looking film that I, I think I re I read uh, Roger Ebert's review of it. And I think he loved it. I think he, he was like, he watched it first when he was a teen. Yeah. yeah. I think he's bang on. I think it's the sort of film that would change yeah, you, the yeah, way you yeah. watch it as you grow older. And certainly for me watching it, I like it's, it's depressing for a finish. We've spoken about that with a bunch of other things. I feel about For sure, that. yeah, yeah. Clockwork Orange that, yeah, was the yeah. last one I felt that significantly with. You know, I get older, but the film stays the same age. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Marcello Mast- Mastroianni, who played Marcello Rubini. He was like 35 or something. He's mid-30s. When he made this, yeah. he's He is a, a fine specimen. He is, yeah. He's a good-looking well, he's man. A, a good-looking man. But Fellini, uh, well, he was under some pressure to cast Paul Newman, apparently. I heard that, yeah, but he said he was too pretty. Too pretty. He so which, they got this, so they got this to be guy. fair, he might be. I don't know. Old uh, Marcello Mastroianni is, he's uh You think fine, he's prettier than Paul he's Newman? He's a fine piece of uh, Italian meat. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll take Paul Newman any day. It's funny, though, the way that, you know, your view of a film changes over the years, like... I remember when I first saw The Little Rascals, I was all with The Little Rascals. I was like, yeah, He-Man Woman Haters Club. But then as I got older, I was like, no, women are great. I remember. No, I'm back to the He-Man Woman <laughs> Haters thing. That, I, the, the first one that comes to mind changing for me is uh, School of Rock. Which <laughs> 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 is very similar. <laughs> Go on. But just thinking of, well, because the, like Jack Black is probably 30. Yeah. Maybe early 30s. I don't know. Like now when I watch it, he looks young. He me looks to interject. young to me. Are you telling me you didn't always think School of Rock was awesome? No, obviously I did. But now I look at it and I'm like, oh, that kid. Oh, fair that enough. That kids do with that teaching those other kids. Yes, indeed. Um, well, apart from Irish Trees uh, photo, I keep, <laughs> this is, apart from the, the uh, image of Irish Tree naked on her Wikipedia page, what else would you like to hear about from the cast members? Do you want to hear anything else? Oh, well, well hold on. I want to uh, talk the ending again quickly. Okay, go. Because then, um, yeah, when they leave, uh, Ric- oh, yeah, sorry, they get kicked finished. out of Ricardo's house. Yeah. They get down to the beach when uh, a bunch of fishermen are pulling in a big kind of a, a stingray, ma- like the sort of thing that kills Steve Irwin, basically. A modern day Leviathan, it's described as here, which apparently is based on a real thing that happened in Rimini in the 30s or something. Huh. So again, it was just another thing that Fellini had seen. And uh, the lady from the interlude, uh, the young lady, uh, starts calling to Marcello, but he doesn't recognize her and he can't remember her and he can't hear her. He's all all kinds of fucked up. He's been drinking all night. And he just walks away and it's very symbolic. What do you think he's going to do now? What happens to old Marcello? Um, I imagine... He becomes like the character from The Great Beauty, which is basically the same film. I haven't seen but that. But set in the Berlusconi era. And is, it's is okay. It, is it suggested that it's the same character? Because char- the main character in that's like 60, 
five or something. Is it's that not right? at all suggested, and it kind of bugs me because people go, Rome Open City is telling the story of Rome in the post-war era. Dolce Vita is doing it for the 60s and uh, the Great Beauty is doing it for the Berlusconi era. But the thing is, the character and the lifestyle of the two, of Marcello and the main guy from the Great Beauty is so similar. I'm just like... It's uh, to me. It's just a ripoff. I don't understand how it got so loaded. And, and Dolce Paolo Vi- Sorrentino, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And La Dolce Vita is definitely better. Well, I'm it sure is. Paolo Sorrentino would say that himself. But anyway, not tell any tales out of school. Uh, yeah, I got along with this really well. I watched it in one sitting, which I didn't think I'd. Do. I, it took me a it took me a while to get through it, but that's because I had other stuff mm. going on. But once it kicked into gear, I, I was sitting there even from the first scene, going like, I mean, it's beautiful. Mm. It looks amazing. There are so many themes that feel relevant now. Well, it's emotionally very resonant. Like it'll get you. It's very realistic. There was a lot of things happening where I was like, "Yes, that kind of thing has happened to me before." Like I can see that. Like like that time when being um, at a party where you're like, "Am I just at this party because you're supposed to be at parties? Am I actually not into this?" I think we've both engaged with a lot of people in the arts. Yeah, kind of annoying. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that, uh, totally. I, I can't believe I haven't brought this up. I made before. a specific note to talk to you about this. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do sections yeah. of this do not. Do not feel like uh, the first few years we knew each other in Barcelona. Yes, def- yes. I've been like, to a what lot am of I doing parties. Here? Yeah. I've <laughs> like, been to so many parties like this. That's true. We've definitely lived our sweet life. Indeed. Yeah, the sweet, <laughs> the sweet, sweet life. Aye. Uh, uh, I don't think there's, uh, apart from Marcello himself, um, uh, and... Yeah, do you want to hear about anyone? Marcello Mastroianni. He had a bit He's of a, a life. He, he had some affairs yeah, with some famous you know, he, women. He, yeah, he was with Faye Dunaway. That's he right. He was with Catherine Deneuve. Said it was his greatest uh, love. together. But he wanted, because uh, he, he was married to this lady all his life while he was shagging all around him, and uh, he let his Catholicism hold, uh, hold him back from settling down with Faye Dunaway and giving her a baby. Well, this, uh, this actually connects to... Uh, the episode two weeks ago. What was two weeks ago again? What was the film with uh, Natasha Kinski? Natasha Kinski, who's in this, maybe. No, she's not in this. She's in what something she? else that I was looking what up. What the fuck was she in? I don't know. I've listened to the episode, so <laughs> I should know. Okay, I'll find out. I'm going to go to Natasha Kinski's. What the fuck was she in? I don't remember. Yeah, two weeks ago when we talked about One from the Heart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Starring Natasha Kinski. She was in a film with Marcello Mastriani. She was in a film called Cosi Come Sei when oh, she yeah. was a teenager. Sean, she was like This six, is one of the ones 17. where she got her lads out and yeah. she feel, felt less comfortable about it years later. Yeah, she Sean was not Baker happy about it. Uh, recommended this on his Instagram this week. She was seven. Oh, that's interesting. She was mm. 17 years old and she did nude scenes with Marcello. Did you hear Sean Bean was c- complaining about intimacy coordinators recently? Which is. <laughs> <laughs> A funny little. Have you bit just of gone from Sean Baker <laughs> to Sean Bean in your head? Well, I was thinking. You're thinking Sean Bees. Well, no. Sean here's Bees. what I was thinking. To be honest, the likes of Marcelo Watts's chops um, making fake acting love to, uh, to a seventeen year old, a seventeen year old girl Kinski, yeah. is nasty in thoughts. Uh, it's it's the sort of example that would make you see the necessity of an, an uh, intimacy coordinator for sure. It's just funny to me. What was Sean Bean's argument? Like, it's not. Fun. It gets in the way of the acting. I don't like it. No way. Yeah, he was basically saying it I'm gets, in, it gets get in the way of. Away. He was basically saying it gets in the way of uh, the performance. So, yeah. Well, you have to listen to the old Bean counter. He knows what he's talking about. Indeed, yeah. 
he was uh, like he said he said there was no there was no intimacy coordinator when we were filming time and everything went along just fine wait here's a so here's time some was uh, this prison drama all oh, right okay yeah. fair play here's a uh the other ladies that marcello mastriani slept with <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> anouk amy i'm amy she's in she's madalena mm-hmm. he also slept with ursula andres nice fair play first bond girl the others, I don't, I don't know them. I don't know who they are. I don't know who they be, so we'll get rid of them. Uh, Sylvia was played by Anita Ekberg. Yes, I, of, co- of course, ended up on her Wikipedia page at some point around that point in the movie. Go and look at them jugs. <laughs> um, that was, yeah, that was what she was, uh, that's what she was all about. She went to the US to compete in Miss Universe in 1951. Was it a bodybuilding competition back then too? <laughs> That's just <laughs> Miss Universe, yeah. It was all like she was just lifting weights the entire just time. pumping iron with her <laughs> gigantic tits. Well, um, she, I mean, she was uh, Swedish, so when they did the Trevi Fountain scene, it was freezing cold and she was fine. She was like, it's no, it's no problem. Oh, really? Because I would have complained about that. Because yeah. people, and then people would have gone, "But you're Irish," and I would have said, "Yeah, I'm still human." Yeah, she she's aged pretty badly, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> if you go to her Wikipedia, there's a photo of her from 2007. Unfortunately, she, she is a friend of the show. She's dead now. She's she died dead. in 2015. Oh, thank God. Better. There's to... a photo of her from 2007 where she looks like she was having a, she was having a bit of an off day. She looks her like, eyes would be she looks like Robert Smith from the separated. Cure. But do you know who she looks like? She looks like Divine. She does look a bit like Divine minus the shit eating. I don't know if she ate shit or not. She's dead now, so we know. I, mean, I guess we'll never know. Swedish in the age of the sexual revolution, she definitely ate caca. So she was supposed to. She was going to be in Doctor No, but then the role went to Ursula Andress. She's kind of hotter than Ursula. Andress, but there's so much say. going on. Like there is a lot. If you go through these films of like who knew each other and who slept with each other, it's all the same people. They're all shagging around them. Yeah. And they all worked together and they all did whatever. So next up, Anouk Amy. Anouk Amy. She played Madalena. She's still alive. She's 90 years old. She's an enemy of the show. Nice. Good for you. Her name was, uh, her name used to be Nicole Dreyfus, but uh, she changed it. Was she married she to Richard? She's not that spelling of Dreyfus, but she is of Jewish origin. Oh, she it's something to do with the Dreyfus affair? Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's it. Might stretch back that far, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was a fart off microphone, there, folks. <laughs> That's not kind of. This is getting cut. Lex Barker, he was Tarzan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Magali Noel, we've talked about. So he was pretty much playing himself then, Lex Bar- Barker. Yeah, yeah, like like because he makes reference to that, doesn't he? He says he was Tarzan, or somebody yeah. else says he was. He was Tarzan. That's right. He he played Tarzan. He was like the tenth actor to play Tarzan, something like that. <laughs> Tarzan's big. Walter Santeso. He was paparazzo. Immortalized it. And fuck him, Nico. Yeah, shag that guy. I worked with Irish tree, <laughs> <laughs> Irish tree. Uh, Lads out on Wikipedia, etc., etc. There's a bunch, there's all, there's all kinds of fun people in this Well, Dolce Vita is very good. It's a great film. I mean, he's taking the piss a little bit at three hours, but as I've said, yeah, it's got saying, that Magnolia factor going on a bit. I like Magnolia more, but that's because I like films that start with like a breakdown of like a guy falling out of a window and then getting shot. 
That is the best off a part building of and getting shot through a window and all those type of things. Some things, weird things, do happen. Who does the? Who does that? Commentary. The voiceover. Yeah. I think it might be Ricky J, friend of the show, Ricky J. That's right. He is a friend of the show. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I liked yeah. it. I'll watch it again in ten years or so. I think. I think I've seen Amarcord enough by now. I think I might have seen Amarcord like five times. I will not watch Amarcord again. I got enough of that. <laughs> I saw those sweet, sweet bosoms, and that was enough. But La Dolce Vita is definitely is a great film. It's I think um, once it really gets going, it's one of those things. Like now that I know where it's going, in a strange way, I would be happier to rewatch it. Yeah, I have way more faith in it now. Once I saw how dark it gets towards the end, if I I might say, if you're you're into that, you should. Definitely check out Lestrada. That sounds good. I, I, I liked just looking at the synopsis of that. Uh, Lestrada's, uh, Lestrada will get you. Get you right in the emotions. Nice. Like a Paddington Bear movie, but like negative. Mm. What are you bringing to the table? Well, I believe that I'm going to be <laughs> choosing... That's <laughs> a stupid fucking phrasing. I'm going to go... I'm yeah, gonna, dude. Yeah, what the hell was that stupid know. fucking <laughs> sentence? I believe I'm... Jesus <laughs> Christ. I, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I'm choosing something that I'm guaranteed. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just you trying to make a regular sentence. And that's your stupid version of it. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, are you ready? not to laugh. <laughs> so I chose... <laughs> so I chose... No, it's fine. I'll just use this version. That's fine. I what did chose- you choose? I chose a wonderful... Well, I hope it's a wonderful film. You've seen it. I chose Escape from New York. Ah. The John Carpenter film. It's been many years. It's been many years but since you've I've seen, seen it. That. You've, you've seen every John Carpenter film, I feel. Uh, there's one I'm missing. Ooh. Like, um, that might be the your thing with the thing. Okay, well, what did you choose? Oh, two I'm missing, actually. Ah, two or three, actually. There's the shitty ones in the middle up. I didn't see. You yeah, can't but- have seen all the shite towards the end. And I haven't seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man either. Yeah, I've seen that with Chevy Chase. Yeah, Legend. it's a mad Legendary. John Carpenter choice. I didn't see the the Ward or whatever it's called. Anyway, fuck all that shit. Um, I have gone for a bit of Paul Schrader and a bit of Richard Gere uh, in American Gigolo. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, very exciting. Well, I've, you've got that coin in your fingers. All right, so got a big fat king's head and a one. Uh, one is the loneliest number. Yes, indeed. Give me one. It's a big fat king's head. Woo-hoo. All right. Ah, it's kind of a pity, to be honest. I was hoping you would win this week. Uh, all right. You want to hear what you would have won? Please. I wasn't actually going to go for the John Carpenter film I, I haven't seen, which is The Fog. I've never seen The Fog. Mm, I haven't seen that either. I was going to go for a one that matched up with his kind of examination of inner city decay and stuff. Escape from... uh, No, no. (laughs) Uh, Assault on Precinct 13. No, I've seen that far too much. I was going to go with They Live. Oh, yeah. I mean, I put They Live up for a toss. I know, yeah. It matched up as well with the fact that you wanted to see it and I could definitely use what rewatching it. It's it's very good. Yeah, 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 exactly. I wish you'd won. I genuinely do. I was sickened you won the last two weeks. Fuck, I wish you'd won this week. We gotta watch some arty shit by Paul Schrader. Yeah, well, I mean, American... No, I'm sure it'll be good. I've never seen it. Have you seen it? American Gigolo, maybe. I don't recall. 
I mean, I know Richard Gere being a gigolo. I feel like I may have seen it. What, what are we watching alongside it anyway? Big- well, we're watching Juice Bigelow now. Uh, <laughs> it's tempting. It would be, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I actually do think, I think that's funny. That's a funny movie. Or uh, American Psycho. Well, we, that's how we did it. It's like, it's got to be that. No, you're more meticulous. You've got something picked out. It was. It came down to a 50-50 choice for me. It was either new or old. Oh, interesting. And I decided it should be old because the new option was going to be the card counter. Uh, which I would have been happy to watch. Yeah, which has got Oscar Isaac, I think, in it. One of uh, yeah. Paul Schrader's, maybe not even his latest film. It might be his second, second latest, latest film. Well, I went for the one that we've been threatening to watch for a long time. We've talked about it before, and we're finally going to have to watch it. Mishima. Oh, wow. Life in four chapters. Oh, cool. I'm excited about yeah. that. There you go, because not cat people. We, I mean, I've seen a bunch of his early films. I saw Cat People and Hardcore and what's the... Blue Collar. Blue Collar. I've seen Blue Collar. I've seen all those and I've seen some more recent things. So Mishima is... Mishima looks like a genuinely interesting film. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite Plus like it. Plus it's only two hours long and it comes in four chapters. Hell it's yeah. It's a life in four it's chapters. It's a life in four chapters, exactly. And you like the music, I remember. And I'm, I imagine American Gigolo is probably less than two hours, is it? It's gotta be. It's gotta be in the... In the two hours, he's not. No one's doing some mad Fellini shit on this. Yeah, calm down, Fellini. Die already. Hey, he took care of that. It's also a TV series now with John Bernthal. Right, I just saw that right now. That's uh, disturbing. It is. uh, Yeah, it's just under two hours, 117 minutes. That'll do. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Male prostitution. Okay, now. Male prostitution <laughs> is the act or practice of men providing sexual services in return for payment. It's a form of sex work. Although clients can be of any gender, the vast majority are older males looking to fulfill their sexual needs. <laughs> male prostitutes have been far That's less studied than female prostitutes by research. There, there are two references on this. One of them is the gigolo myth from 2012. And the other one is Male Prostitution, a book from 1993. So that's just a, a person going around giving surveys. So so is it mostly women you have sex with? No, it's mostly older men. Well, actually. I'm going to be reading DJ West's 1993 book, Male Prostitution, and I... I have two copies. You, you want a lend of one? Well, no, I'm just going to get hold of it. It's actually available. It might be available to read for free. What? It costs $55 on uh, Amazon. Hell no. Here's a list of, I'm just, I'm now going to read out a list of nine UK libraries where you can find <laughs> male prostitution by DJ West. Well, I'm going to exit at that point, but right, I am right. very... One of them is the University of Cambridge. I'm extremely, extremely excited uh, to prepare for our next episode, a film I've been awaiting for fucking 13 years or however long it's been. Uh, next episode is going to be about Avatar. The Way of Water. <clears throat> Which uh, I think our uh, enemy of the show, Peter Bradshaw, gave two stars. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick, though, that fella. Well, he... It's been getting five stars stuff. out the wazoos. I think it's... We'll, we'll find out very shortly, but I think it's going to be a clear case of watch it in 3D or don't watch it at all. Yeah, which is an odd move just to speak locally of Barcelona that a Phenomena is not offering it in 3D. But do they? are they able to... Do that? Have they got the 3D capabilities? Can they show shit in 3D? If they don't, then they're fucking lunatics at this point. Get it. Uh, in the meantime, in between now and Avatar, because I've got a wee really badly. Goodbye and I love you all, especially you, Andy. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.